This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. I can't wait to introduce you all to Larissa Jalaris. Larissa is an occupational therapist, mother of two, and has extensive experience and training in sensory processing disorder in children. She uses that experience to support parents in understanding their own sensory triggers. Larissa has joined us today to talk about overstimulation, just how overstimulating and overwhelming parenting can be on our senses. We talk about different sensory triggers and why noise especially can be so triggering and impact us so much. Before I became a mom, I could control the noise level of my house. I could decide whether I wanted to listen to music or read a book in silence. And now my days are filled with three boys running around, holding ninja training camps, racing cars down the hallway, jumping off of sofas, and sensory overload is the perfect way to describe it. Some days I put in my earbuds and listen to my own music. Other days I feel like putting in earplugs and drowning out the noise all together Either way, you've got me in your ears right now, and we're going to hear my conversation with Larissa about overstimulation and sensory overload in parenting. Hi, Mamas. Erica here. Wanted to pop in and let you know that for a limited time only, Dr. Asherina Reem and I are offering our highly sought-after workshops, Managing Mom Rage and Unpacking Resentment as a Bundle. This bundle gives you access to both workshops and their workbooks for the lowest price ever, only $79. These workshops are hosted by myself and psyched mummy, Dr. Asherina Reem, and together we have over 20 years clinical experience. Here's what you can expect to learn between the two workshops. A clear definition of anger and what might hide beneath it. How to protect yourself outside of triggering situations. What to do in the heat of the moment when you feel anger creeping in how to work through feelings of resentment towards your partner, how you and your partner can divide parental responsibilities, tools to strengthen your communication skills, and so much more. Best of all, you'll get unlimited access to these resources so you can watch at your own pace. This bundle is being offered for a limited time and will be closing soon. Make sure to go check it out, happyasamother.co slash bundle. That's happyasamother.co slash bundle. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Larissa, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today between recently birthing a human to being on the road and packing your gear to be a part of this interview. Thank you for prioritizing this and making time for it. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. 
Overstimulation and overwhelm is such a big topic with moms. And I find anytime I create a post about noise or sensory overload or overwhelm, they get lots of attention, lots of questions and things. Also mess and clutter, but that might be another topic for another day. So we found you, like we found each other on Instagram and you really help parents hone this sensory overload. Can you tell me how you got into working with parents? Because a lot of like OTs and people who I see working with like sort of like sensory input things often specialize in working with children generally, right? So how did you start to gear your business and, and Instagram page towards parents? Yeah, so I technically am still a pediatric occupational therapist, as well as a mother of a three-year-old son and a two-month-old little girl. So I started working with children with sensory processing challenges. And this actually was not where I thought I would end up. I was actually adamantly opposed to working in sensory processing disorder. It was like kind of like all the rage and I wanted to do something else. I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew that this wasn't it. Mm. But then I was waiting after I took my boards, I was waiting for my license to come in. And so I shadowed an occupational therapist who specialized in sensory processing disorder and I fell in love with it. So that's the clinic that I started in. It's a clinic. I'm still there. So I never left the sensory processing field just from that one day of shadowing. But then I sustained a major concussion in 2019. And so that resulted in sensory motor deficits that were similar to the ones that I was used to treating in the clinic. Mm. And so I've had to navigate motherhood with my own sensory needs. I've needed to employ sustainable and practical sensory strategies so that I could actively engage in my role as a mother. So I started that Warrior OT Instagram page with that in mind, kind of trying to explain to parents what it feels like to have sensory processing challenges so that they could better empathize with their children. But then as I started building that community, I was talking to other parents and then reflecting a lot within myself and realizing really that the sensory demands of parenthood impact so many families, Mm -hmm. not just those with official sensory processing challenges. And so I always knew that on a clinical level, but at the time of my concussion, my son was 18 months old. So I didn't have that much time parenting without that. Mm. But then my experience with concussion has really taught me how necessary parent sensory regulation is when you're supporting your own children with their regulation. Right. And so I was trying to figure out how to balance those things. And then, you know, talking to other parents, realizing that I wasn't the only one experiencing this. And there's so many parents without, you don't have to have had a concussion or anything like that to know that parenting is just so overstimulating. And so that really became my passion to support parents and understanding their sensory needs and their sensory triggers so that they can actively engage in their role of parenthood with meaning and joy, because that's really what we all want is to enjoy our children. Mm-hmm. I don't know the difference, and I'm curious your thoughts on the difference between like sensory processing disorder and like what that truly means versus like an overstimulation of the senses. Are they the same? Are they different? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. So sensory processing disorder, well, it's not technically a diagnosis in the DSM yet, even though there is research to support it as its own thing. Mm. So hopefully in the next DSM. In the next round of the DSM. Yeah. But from an OT perspective, to really qualify as like an SPD, 
then it has to really impact function. And so not just like occasionally affect it or like occasionally feel overstimulated. If it's impacting like multiple areas of your life, then that's when we would say that it would be a sensory processing disorder. Okay. But we all have sensory systems that work hard. And so when you have a sensory system that may be a little more sensitive, but throughout your life didn't really seem like it was that much until parenthood, you know? Right. Then it becomes overworked, and that's just the overstimulation piece. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Totally makes sense. Okay. And so when we're talking about sensory systems, like I'm curious to know more about what that is, but it makes me think about things that I hear from moms all the time is like, I feel so touched out. Like if one more person touches me yeah, or like a noise and like, you know, just overwhelming competing noises in the room, things like that. So what, like, what are our sensory systems and how do we know if we're maybe like sensitive to one or the other? Yeah. So when we talk about the sensory systems, I want you to think about them as like a backstage crew. So they all have their own jobs. They're all working behind the scenes. They talk to each other. They work really hard to make sure that the job gets done well. Yeah. But you don't see it happening, but you do see the product, which is like, you can think about it as like a seamless theater production. You know, your body is moving well, you're filtering out the right noise, but you're tuning into the the noise that you do need to listen to. But within this crew, there's some members that are more well-known than others. You know, the, there's the touch, there's the sound, vision, all of that that we all talk about, but there's other ones too, and none of them are less important than the other. Mm-hmm. But if one crew member is fatigued or not working properly, then the whole production struggles. And so that's when you kind of see that overstimulation is my auditory system is overloaded right now And so everything is kind of falling apart. Mm. And I want to talk about some of the systems that we don't usually talk about because they're also so important when we're talking about overstimulation and when we talk about ways to support overstimulation. So we can talk about the tactile system first, which I know everybody feels like, oh, I'm so touched out. We talk about that a lot. But what does the tactile system really do? So it has two parts. It has the protective system, which is the one that alerts us to danger, and it stimulates the fight-or-flight response if it perceives something is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And this happens through light touch, which would be like a mosquito bite or a light tap on the shoulder or a gentle stroke. That all activates this defensive system. And your tactile system then has to determine if it's harmful or if it's helpful. And then we have the discriminative system, which allows us to feel nuances in how we are touched. So this tells us about the force of touch, the location of touch, and what we are touching. And this is the one that allows us to like reach into our bag and find our keys without using our eyes. Mm -hmm. And this is a system that's activated through pressure, like a big hug or holding an object or feeling the zipper on your sweater. So that deep pressure. Okay. But both of these systems need to work together and separately in order for the tactile system to function effectively and determine if we're safe. And then we have the vestibular system, which is a big one for OTs. We love talking about this one. So this is located in your inner ear, and it's your primary sense of movement and balance. And it signals to us where our head is in relationship to gravity. So it includes the position of the head as well as speed and direction of movement. And it's our primary system that lights up the brain, and it's the most foundational 
because all other senses develop from this sense. Hmm. And we we need it to work properly in order to support attention, regulation, coordination, and also to feel safe because protecting the head is an instinctual necessity. And so a functioning vestibular system gives us this basic survival skill. It tells us if we're upside down or right side up or if we're slightly tilted. And if we're falling, then it tells us how quickly we are headed to the ground and signals to the rest of our body that we need to do something about it. It's interesting because as you're describing some of these, it makes me think about, and I'm going to paint a picture probably a lot of parents are pretty familiar with, but one of my biggest triggers in terms of situations is being in the van, in the passenger seat, Mm -hmm. with the motion and the constant requests for snacks yes, and the constant turning around to hand things to the kids between like the movement and the like stopping and going and like movement in the van and then all three kids like <laughs> requesting things and all the competing noises. It is a recipe for me to be really irritated, angry mommy, yeah. right? Yep. And I I like that you're talking about how this vestibular system ties into like our fight and flight response and like our safety mm-hmm. needs because one of the things that I talk about often with parents is how our emotions and or like our anger and our anxiety is directly wired into our nervous system because of our like safety needs and those fight or flight responses. But mm-hmm. sometimes that system is overactivated or we feel unsafe when in actual fact we are safe. And so how do we like soothe ourselves back to either not being overstimulated or to not being so anxious or whatever. So I know that we'll get to some tips for that, but mm-hmm. it's just making me, as you're describing it and the motion and the movement and all these things, it's just making me like car sick right. thinking about <laughs> these road yeah. trips that I dread because it's just like so much right. on the brain, it feels like. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be like the car trip for sure, especially because you're locked in with them. You can't escape. There's no escaping. Um, Yeah. And like if you don't respond or say, I need a minute, then they just yell louder. So just even if you're thinking about in the home, how much head movement there is, like we empty the dishwasher every day. Right. Sometimes multiple times a day. And then you're always like, if you hear something, you have to turn your head quickly to see who it is or who's crying or where's like someone's looking for their specific toy and you have to help them find it. So you're scanning, you're turning your head. So parents always are are saying like, I feel overtouched. I feel like it's too loud, but we don't think about how much head movement there is. And since that's the primary sensory system, that's why I'm bringing it up mm. because we need to think about that as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Another really interesting time that I find, well, this is for a number of reasons, probably overstimulating is bath time Mm -hmm. because, well, one, it's the end of the day. Everybody's cranky. Everybody's tired. So you're not getting like a lot of like compliance at the end of the day. So there's this like behavioral component. But also I think that part of this same thing ties into it. Like you're up and you're down and you're like, 
all over the place. Nobody's listening. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of water. There's a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. And it's just like one of those recipes for that overstimulation or that overwhelm, it feels like. Right. And in the bathroom, the sound is echoey too. So it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Another system that I want to talk about is the proprioceptive system because this one is located in your muscles and your joints. And it's the input that you receive when your muscles stretch and contract and when your joints move. It provides information that contributes to our awareness of body position without having to look at it. So you can reach around and scratch the back of your neck to get just the right spot without needing your vision. Mm -hmm. It allows us to automatically adjust body position to prevent falling, and it tells us how much force is needed to complete a task. An example of this system at work is when you look at something that you need to pick up. So my dad always tells the story of when he was visiting their friend's newborn daughter, who was born just six weeks after my brother was born. So Michelle, the little girl, was a tiny little girl, you know, maybe six pounds. But my brother, he was six weeks older and had started out heavier. So he wasn't so tiny. And my dad was used to picking up all hefty pounds of Peter. But when he went to pick up (laughs) Michelle, he almost threw her over his shoulder because his proprioceptive system knew that when you pick up a baby, you need this specific amount of force. Mm. So his sensory system has made a prediction based on his prior experiences and reacted based on that experience. But in this case, it was wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's That's another system that comes into play because we're always doing things. We're always picking things up. We're always making predictions about what our body needs to do. But it's also one of the most regulating systems. So if we can use it effectively, and Mm -hmm. we can talk about that later, then it's one of the best ways to support regulation in a moment of overstimulation. Okay. Yeah. And then the last system that I want to talk about really briefly is the interoceptive system. And that Interoception is sensations of the body from internal organs. So hunger, thirst, pain, bladder and bowel pressure, and heartbeat. And it allows us to be mindful of changes in our body and to respond to it. And so we'll also use that system when we talk about ways to support overstimulation as well. Okay. Yeah. When you're talking about like the proprioception Mm -hmm. system and, well, I think, and the interoceptive, right? That's what it was called? Yeah. 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 Like I think about like hunger and tiredness and like these types of things and how they impact us so greatly and our children, right? But I think about my middle child. He's definitely more like bull in a china shop. He's very, likes a lot of pressure, likes a lot of rough and tumble. He's a little bit Mm -hmm. more impulsive. Like he definitely has different sensory needs than my other children. Mm -hmm. So I think about that proprioception and that pressure And how I used to also work with like kids who had other sensory sensitivities, like in a children and family practice that I was in. And so Mm -hmm. we use a lot of physical touch, like firm touch and carry heavying and things that just like put some resistance on him because like he's going to be like my football player that likes to tackle people. Like that's the kind of, you know, sensory input that he enjoys on his body. And and it comes with a lot of us needing to teach him how to regulate that. Not everybody likes mm-hmm. that kind of rough and tumble play and touch. But yeah, it just every time I, I think about that one, it makes me think of, of him and his needs and then how we also have to parent him uniquely and or how it impacts my relationship with him at times when he wants to be on me a lot or rough and tumble with me a lot and how it creates like a different attachment between him and I or different demands on me as a parent when 
You know, he has this certain way that he wants to interact with me that is so fun at times. And then at other times, I'm just not into it because I'm tired and I'm touched out myself or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting to see how everybody's system really responds in different ways. You know, like your son, it sounds like he is what we call under responsive to that proprioceptive input to vestibular likely. And so that means that his body needs more input than somebody else might to get to that regulated state. Whereas others like me are over responsive. And so we need less input than somebody else might to get to that same state. Mm -hmm. And that can be a challenge both with uh, the parent-child dynamic and then also with a partner dynamic. Yeah. For me and my relationship with my husband, so like I said, I'm over-responsive. And so, you know, I, by the end of the day, I've had Mm -hmm. it, you know, but my husband who's under-responsive, he craves more. So he comes home from work and he goes straight to my three-year-old son and they start laughing and wrestling and giggling and all of this stuff. And I'm just sitting there in the corner like, you guys, you're so loud. Right. But really, it's his body, my husband, John, his body is craving that input. And he's been at work all day. He's a dentist. And so he's not really moving that much. He's just going from chair to chair. And then he talks a little bit to his patients, but you know, his hands are in their mouths, so he can't have much (laughs) of a conversation. And So by the end of the day, his system is really needing that movement, that joyful engagement. But I've been home all day with my newborn and our three-year-old. So we also need to remember that sensory input is cumulative. So for me, at the end of the day, I've had all day long from the time they wake up until my husband comes home. It's just me and the kids. So my body has built up all of that input with very little chance to release some of it, Mm -hmm. you know, to do the things that I know work to help empty my bucket of sensory input. But for him, he hasn't had that chance to fill his bucket. And so he comes home and he's loud. Our son enjoys it so much and they're playing. And so it can pose a challenge. But at the same time, if we recognize that that's what his system needs and this is what my system needs, we can help support each other in that. It's really interesting when you lay it out that way because I can see that my oldest son and my middle son have opposite sensory needs. Mm -hmm. My oldest son is more like you and like, especially when it comes to touch because my middle one, he is so rough and tumble and he does want to like get his brother going and he wants to provoke him and wants to run around and be ninjas and do all this stuff. And sometimes my oldest is just like, really sensitive to the touch or like, I don't know, he gets a paper cut and you think his arm has been like amputated. Like he's just very, you know, responsive to that. So they have very different physical needs, physical sensory needs, especially. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes challenging as a parent when you've got one who maybe wants to like chill out a little bit and have some quiet time. And then you've got one who's (laughs) turning the house upside down (laughs) quite literally, right? Yeah. And then my partner and I have different needs as well. And you're describing that about the two of you. I remember like so distinctly as a first time mom or being home on mat leave, either my first or second mat leave, they all blur together at this point where- the baby might be crying and then toddlers like dumping toys. I'm hearing toys going everywhere. And then the TV is on and then I've got in-laws having a conversation in the background and I'm just like so ragey and ready to tear somebody's mm-hmm. like head off for 
for no reason other than it just feels like my brain is in a million places at one time. Right. Right. And it took me a long time to understand what was going on in those moments. And we made the correlation that it was noise. I think it was even like an observation that my husband had made Mm -hmm. like a few years back where like noise really gets to you. Hey, like you get really agitated. And then as soon as the noise levels out or I can control some of like the, you know, the noise level, if I'm able to control it. It really like allows me to like think clearly or like clears my mind so that I can take decisive action on like what I need to do now. But it almost actually scrambles my brain signals. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know how else to describe it other than that. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, like I said, I have a nine week old. And so a couple of weeks ago, she was just a couple of weeks old. And I I know she's so cute. Um, (laughs) But... So I I was thinking about this one moment in particular where I had been nursing and I ended this nursing session early. She wasn't done, but I was done. I needed to just stop it. I could feel the overwhelm. I could feel the anger. I could feel the anxiety all building up in my body. It was like that 10 p.m. feed where I was like, I've had it. You know, I couldn't take it anymore. So I unlatched her. I put her on the bed and I just stared at her, just like frozen in my body. It was like when we talk about the fight flight mode, there's also that freeze mode. And I was in the freeze mode. Like I I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. But then I started noticing everything else that had, that was going on in the room and that had happened throughout the day. You know, she had been cluster feeding that day. And so she was on me constantly. My son was working through that adjustment of having a baby sister. So he was either extra cuddly or extra tantrumy, but there was no in-between. There was no nice, independent, quiet play. Yeah. I had put on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse to keep him occupied. And so that was on pretty much all day so that I could focus on latching with my daughter. But that meant that there was more noise on in the house. I was extremely hungry and thirsty because I was breastfeeding, but It was my husband's first week back at work, so he wasn't following me around with my water bottle like he had been doing the first (laughs) couple of weeks. And again, like I said, sensory input is cumulative, so it all built up in my body throughout the day, and I hadn't had a chance to use any of the tools that I am used to to empty my bucket of sensory overload because this new phase of parenthood, it was so new, I didn't know how It's so demanding on you. And I hadn't figured out how to build in my tools throughout the day yet. But I remember in that moment, just like, again, just staring at her frozen. So when I started reminding myself of that day, like I could just feel the shift, you know, I am feeling this way because of the extra touch, because of the extra noise, because of the hunger. And it's so validating when you can realize that. It takes away that feeling Mm of, I'm a terrible mom and I was crazy for having a second kid. What was I thinking? And it turned it into, you know what? I'm an overwhelmed mom, and this is how my body is processing all of that input. Right. It allows us to shift into self-compassion. Yeah. And it also helps us to feel more in control because those moments of overwhelm and overstimulation are very helpless and powerless feeling. Yeah. Right? Like in those moments, I'll describe another moment actually. And I usually don't share so many of my own personal moments, but I just think that moms, you know, parents need to really hear this. And in Toronto, we are still in lockdown. Mm. We've been, this is our third lockdown. They just extended it. We've been in lockdown since November. Mm. It only opened for two weeks and then it closed back down. And it has been 
extremely hard and depressing, especially for parents who are remote learning with kids. And it's been a lot. And I had a moment the other day where it was bedtime. I was tired. I'd had a busy day of clients. Uh, We're moving. There's just a a crap ton of things happening in the background of our lives, right? And the kids were, we're in a small townhouse and the kids were running back and forth on the small little strip of hallway we have upstairs. Mm -hmm. We were trying to get them to bed. Nobody was listening. The noise levels were like beyond high. And I like wanted to curl up in a ball in the fetal position Mm -hmm. on the floor Mm -hmm. or like rage out at the top of my lungs. I was like, if this doesn't get under control, I feel like one of two things is gonna happen, you Mm -hmm. know? And neither one happened. I took a step away and I like understood what was happening in that moment for myself. But the moments of overstimulation and overwhelm feel so helpless and overpowering when you're in them Mm -hmm. that you just want to curl up in a ball sometimes, right? Like they feel helpless. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you had said about, okay, there's sort of maybe two things we're going to have to do as parents here. We're either going to have to empty our bucket of like overstimulation as you were describing or maybe you know fill it up in some other ways probably more likely like unpack it so how do we do that what are some of those strategies i'm so excited to hear yeah yeah so there's two ways you can go about this there's the in the moment strategies and then there's the what do I do in my downtime to support myself so that I don't get so overstimulated? I call those the bubble wrap strategies, the like protective strategies, right? That's so cute. I love that. Yeah. So so we have our in the moment strategies and our bubble wrap strategies. I think we should talk about the in the moment strategies first. Yeah. Like that's the when you just want to like fetal position and and tantrum with your toddler. Like we need some help with that, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the first thing that I would recommend is really to stop and take a deep breath in, hold it, and exhale. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, we talk about breath all of the time. And before I really started diving into sensory processing and I was dealing with my own anxiety in college and grad school and everybody was saying like, you know, do your guided breaths, do all of that. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. But, you know, mm-hmm. like, give me something real. Then I started, re- like, learning about it and researching it. And an intentional extended exhale, it literally resets your nervous system. So it mm. tells your parasympathetic nervous system to kick in, and it overrides that sympathetic or that fight-or-flight response. And it creates a relaxation response almost immediately. It's really amazing that that tool, it's right there. We have it. It literally can change the way that you're responding in that moment. And it's not something that you can forget to bring with you. You know, if you have, if you're getting overstimulated in the grocery store, you can't be like, oh, shoot, I didn't bring my breath today. You know, you have it with you all of the time. But when you're in that moment, it can be really hard to find your breath. You know, especially if you're in a sim, in, yeah. in that fight flight mode, then you're breathing with your accessory muscles. It's short, shallow breaths. And so your rib cage can become rigid when you're in that mode. So what I would recommend, if you know you need to breathe, but you can't breathe, or you're just really overwhelmed, you can place your hands on the lower parts of your rib cage and put a slight amount of pressure. Okay. 
And then you can breathe into that, you know. If you have your hands down there, you breathe in, hold and breathe out. And you can push, push in. And so you're literally like telling your ribcage what to do with your hands. You're giving it tactile cues. You're giving it proprioception. And so that's saying these muscles like, hey, you're, you guys are the ones that are supposed to kick in, not these high accessory muscles. Okay. And so, and then you're also, when you're giving yourself, when you have your hands on your rib cage, you are also giving yourself deep pressure, which is that calming proprioceptive input that we were talking about earlier. So it's doing two things. It's helping you exhale and it's also giving you calming pressure. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirin Areem's psyched mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. 
Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code rage20. I love the fact that you're sharing the science behind it because I feel like a lot of the time it's like, oh, take a deep breath or, you know, put a hand on your your chest and become aware of your body. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, like whatever. But when we understand the science behind it or like what a deep breath and an exhale can do, like you said, literally activates that calming, relaxing response or helps to, whether it's like flush the adrenaline out of our system of that fight or flight response faster and starts to regulate our heartbeat, all of these things which are hijacked in these like overstimulated moments, like when we can really be empowered in understanding why our breath is so effective and works, then we're not gonna just dismiss it as like, oh yeah, I know, like I need to breathe. Like, no, but why? Why is it so important and why is it so helpful, right? So another thing you can do when you're in that moment of overstimulation, especially with noise, because noise is so overstimulating. So our auditory system, it's directly linked in our ear to a branch of the vagus nerve vet, and that's the one responsible for fight or flight. So it makes sense that an overload of your auditory system would send you into a fight or flight response because they're right there, you know, they're linked. And so that's the first thing is just recognizing like noise is overstimulating because it's literally stimulating my fight or flight response. That's so interesting to know. See, it's valid, this noise thing that I've experienced. It's so validating. You know, our auditory system should have the ability to filter out like what is a stimuli that I need to pay attention to and what is one that I don't need to pay attention to. But when we're in parenthood, we can't turn off our auditory system, even if we wanted to. You know, it's our job to take care of these children, to make sure that they are safe. And so even if they are quiet, we have to have an ear out, you know. First of all, we have to figure out if they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing when it's quiet. Right. (laughs) More suspicious than a quiet toddler. But even if you know, like, they're playing independently and I'm doing this, or we still, we can't relax that system because we have to be available to hear, like, a scream or somebody fall or anything like that. You know, it's our job to protect them. And evolutionarily, like, that's what we're doing. And so just to recognize, like, our auditory system never gets a break unless we're in a hotel far away where we can't do anything about it. You know, we're always on. And so because of that, the system is, it's always on, it's always filtering, but if it's overloaded, it's like that, you know, back to that backstage crew analogy, you know, it's, it's getting tired. What we can do about that, you know, we can't just not listen for our kids in case they need us, but we can find things in the environment that we can turn off so that we don't have to filter as much. You know, especially Mm. these low frequency sounds, because that's the one that evolutionarily speaking, it alerts us of danger. But in our world, in our home, you know, there's no danger, but there is the sound of the air conditioning or the heat. There's the sound of the dishwasher. There's the sound of the ceiling fan. So even though those aren't technically like dangerous sounds, it's still that same frequency that our bodies are ready to to listen to, you know, like they're mm-hmm. it's a like attuned to or like picking up or right. Yeah, exactly. And so we're heightened to those sounds because of the way that our auditory system has developed. So if we can turn those off even for a few moments, depending on where you live, you can't turn off the heat for the whole day. 
or the air conditioning for the whole day, but you can turn it off for a moment. Just give yourself mm. five minutes just to let your auditory system take a breath. Or if you have the dishwasher running, you know, run it at night so that it's not bothering you during the day. Or laundry. You know, I've noticed that the days that I tend to be more overwhelmed, more likely to yell, more likely to parent in a way that I wish that I hadn't, there's usually some background noise on. It's a laundry day or the neighbors are lawn mowing or weed whacking or whatever because our system gets heightened by all of those sounds. And so then the little things like a no or the dog tapping on the floor, you know, those can send us into that overdrive because we're already filled up with auditory input. Okay, this is a little bit silly, but I saw an ad on TikTok and I can't get it out of my mind. It's like two in the morning, I should be sleeping or I'm like revenge sleep procrastinating or whatever that term is. And I'm scrolling TikTok and I actually learn incredible amounts of things at two in the morning on TikTok, believe it or not. But there was an ad for these earplugs from one of my favorite TikTokers, Domestic Engineers. They're not actually sound deafening, but they are sound dampening or sound limiting And I've actually seriously been considering these because there are times when the kids are playing perfectly safe and happy or playing tag or wrestling, being ninjas, whatever it is that they're doing, but there's so much noise and I find it really overstimulating. Or there are these times where my kids will actually pull out their noise-canceling headphones for like monster truck rallies and things like that. They'll wear them around the house and they're actually talking louder to each other because they can't hear each other. And I'm just the one sitting there wishing that I could wear them because it's so noisy and everybody's yelling across the room to each other. So I really heavily considered ordering these little tiny earplugs that would just bring the noise down a notch. Not completely block it out, but just dampen it to make the noise level more manageable. Right. Especially dinner time, because that's when they, I mean, the kids are hungry and they're loud and you have a goal in mind and it has a, like a time limit. You need to feed them by six o'clock or they're going to go to bed late or whatever it is, you know, and kitchens are loud dishes. There's the, like the fan over the stove and it's, it's so. Yes, exactly. And then you've got like the microwave on and then the water's running and then like things are banging. And it's just like one of those recipe moments. And I think that it's so important for us to identify as parents, like what these triggers are in our rhythms and in our routines, right? So that we can be aware so that when it starts to happen and we start to like get overstimulated or on edge, we limit, okay, I'm going to turn off the dishwasher, like you said, or I'm going to like pop the door on the microwave for a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Another strategy that's a really good quick strategy that you can do is called palming. And this is something that I learned through my concussion rehab from Molly Parker and Natasha Wilch, who are physical therapists who specialize in concussion. So you cut both of your hands and you place them over your eyes and you apply gentle pressure. So each mm. palm should fully surround one eye and you, you can play around with your eyes open or eyes closed, whichever feels better to you. And then while you're there, you can breathe. You can inhale, hold, and exhale. But what that is doing, it's giving you calming proprioceptive input. Again, like we said with the breathing, but it also cuts out visual input. And so this makes it easier to process that auditory overload because your brain is not trying to process both auditory and visual at the same time. So, Mm. and then you're getting that proprioceptive input from the deep pressure, which is releasing neurotransmitters to help calm and regulate your nervous system. 
And so that's something you can do. Like if you're standing there in the kitchen and it's like, like I, I need to escape, but I can't because otherwise my the chicken's going to burn or um, mm-hmm. just stand there, put your hands over your eyes and apply gentle pressure. It's an amazing tool and it's mm. always there for you. The one caveat is that sometimes my son thinks I'm playing peekaboo. So <laughs> he's like, oh, okay. play with me. Yeah, let's, don't <laughs> let them see you do it or they'll think you're playing a game. Amazing. Um, so funny. So the first time he, the first time he said that, I just like, I, I messaged those physical therapists. I was like, thanks for this. Cause now we're playing peekaboo. <laughs> I, I'm a really big fan too, though, of like, doing things that will help us co-regulate, right? And so peekaboo as a way of us regulating our nervous systems together is actually a really great tool because when my kids are to the place where clearly they like need to move, we'll like dance our sillies out or dance, dance, freeze. And like we co-regulate all of our nervous systems need like a reset in that moment, right? Yeah. Right. And it, it really brings you, yeah, back to that moment, you know, like when you're in that overstimulated mode, you can't really pay attention to your children or anything like that. You can't enjoy them. And so if you can have a tool that will help with that, then you can also, you know, enjoy your children again. Another thing you can do that's right in the moment is you can stand in a corner against the wall. So if you're in the moment, you're seeing all of this chaos, you're feeling all of it, just push your body against the wall for a minute. Think about when that feeling of feeling over-touched or I'm touched out. Way in the beginning of this interview, we were talking about the tactile system and how it has two systems. You know, it has the one that's activated by light touch, and that's the protective response. And then it has one that's activated by deep pressure, and that's the discriminative response. And so if you think about parenthood, it's pretty much only light touch, you know. Your kids right. are tapping on you. Your clothes don't fit right. You're nursing. You're, you know, there's they're jumping on you. Your partner comes in and gives you one of those, like, half-hearted, hey, how are you hugs, but it's not, like, a real hug. And so you're just overloaded by light touch. And so no wonder your system goes into panic mode because the job of that tactile system is to alert you of danger. And all it's getting is this light touch. And so Mm -hmm. even though those aren't dangerous, you know, it's coded in your nervous system as that way. And Mm -hmm. usually you have the cognitive ability to filter it out and be like, oh, that was no big deal. That was just a mosquito. Well, that kind of is a big deal, but you know, that, that wasn't anything that I need to worry about, but when it gets overloaded, that's when it can fall apart and go into panic mode. And so if you have the ability to just stand against a corner, you're giving yourself tactile input, but it's deep tactile input. And so that will counteract all of that light touch. So that can be really helpful. It also then blocks out visual and auditory from behind you. And so it helps with the filtering because you're not needing to get it from all around. You know, it's just from the, in front of you. So that's especially why I like the corner because it really limits that space that you need to focus on. Okay. And it makes me also think about things like, and maybe this is more getting to like the proprioception piece, but like the weighted blankets Mm -hmm. and things that just feel soothing in that way. Like I think about, I have this duvet cover and like this duvet and duvet cover on my bed. And now that it's summer, I can't use it because it's like too warm and I use a light sheet, but I love the weight of it and just how it feels. It feels like so cozy and relaxing. 
So does that play into that same pressure or is that more like a proprioception piece? When we talk about deep pressure, it's really both. And so, okay, yeah, so it is, it's deep tactile input as well as proprioceptive input. You can't really separate them out. Okay. I think about a few different things. Obviously, like not that many moms have the ability to go for massages or like things Mm -hmm. like that. But I think about massages. I think about, I have like an acupressure mat. I have like certain things like that to relieve some of that tension that we've been carrying around. But then also I think for the reasons you're describing. So those are those like in the moment strategies that I think are really important. And none of them, if you notice, none of them need any tools. So like you don't need to have remembered to bring, I mean, you're, if you get those noise canceling headphones, you need those, but you know, your breath is always with you. Your hands are always with you, so you can always do that palming. If you're in your home, you can always stand against the wall. And I think it's really important to have tools available that you don't have to prepare for. You know, yeah. you don't you don't know if you're, sometimes it can just hit you out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So those are really important. But then the other thing we can do is set ourselves up for success. You know, like those bubble wrap strategies. And so the first thing is to recognize your sensory triggers. So really take time to think about, like we were talking about, I'm really overstimulated by sound. And you were saying your partner was noticing that in you too. Sound really can overwhelm me. Touch really can overwhelm me. Or movement really can overwhelm me, you know. Or it can be the opposite. Like, I really need to get my exercise, not me personally. Some people really need to get their morning run in in the day to start out feeling like they're doing well. So if you know those things about you, if you know you need more input, more vestibular, more proprioception, just knowing those things about you, it can help because then in a moment where you're feeling overstimulated or you're not parenting in a way that you're proud of, then you can look back and be like, you know what? I didn't get my run in this morning. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's going on. It's not me being a bad mom. It's me being like not having my needs met. It's just so powerful to know that. We talk a lot about mental health and parenthood and it's so important to talk about that. But the sensory piece is also so important and that's not talked about as much. And so I really want to highlight that, you know, like you might have anxiety or depression And it's important to get those things taken care of, but you may also have sensory issues or challenges that are separate. If we look at the car example that I was giving where I'm in the car and it's really loud and noisy and, you know, the movement and the kids, if I didn't realize that I had sensory sensitivities in that moment, I may have perceived that noise as an anxiety attack and would have escalated into, let's say, like a panic attack rather than realizing that it had to do with sensory input and sensory overwhelm. Right. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly what I was getting at, is that they can be so intertwined and also they can be separate. Yeah. Another thing that you can do is, so perhaps you can take a moment or two around four o'clock before you start prepping for dinner, then you can take a little moment, escape for a few, just a few moments. You know, it doesn't have to be a nice half an hour escape from the kids, which would be lovely, but it's not practical. But if you know, like dinner time is a really overwhelming time. So at four o'clock, I'm going to escape, take an extra long bathroom break and just sit there for three minutes. So out of the moment strategies, do they essentially limiting the input to those sensory systems so that they are not being depleted so that we can sort of reset them and have them be sort of 
whether it's silent because I'm thinking of like hearing or whether they're just not not in use kind of. It's like a break for them. Yes. Yes. Okay. And if you think about your sensory systems like as buckets, if you're over responsive, then you have a smaller bucket and it fills more quickly. And so if you take these moments, you can empty that bucket, you know, just give yourself a moment to empty your bucket and reduce the stimulation so that when you go back and you inevitably are going to fill your bucket again with the noise and the overwhelm, it's not going to spill over because you've already emptied parts of it. Okay. Yeah. And another thing you can do is practice mindfulness and body scans. And we talked a little bit about this with the breathing. It's like, okay. But what that does is it really tells you it helps you understand the sensations of your body. And so usually, sometimes it can feel like the overstimulation comes out of nowhere. But if you're really in tune with your body, you can feel it coming before it overloads, before it spills over, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you feel it, like, I can feel that my stomach is starting to churn. You know, I know that that means I'm probably going to, if I continue in this moment, I'm probably going to yell at my kids. And mm -hmm. I don't want to. And so... But I can feel my skin starting to tingle. I can feel my my heart beating a little bit faster. I'm going to take a moment now, or I'm going to take a breath now, or I'm going to go stand against the wall now, or I'm going to go do some palming now before I need it. And, and that's, again, to empty your bucket before it spills over. But mm -hmm. if, you're, if you practice those in times of calm, then those skills are more available to you. I think that mindfulness and awareness help us to determine how big our bucket is, right? Like what our tolerance is. Because if we're not paying attention, if we're not being mindful, we're not being aware, we might think we have this endless bucket that can you can put all this stimulation in and then all of a sudden we're overflowing and we're like, oh, why am I so ragey right now? By tuning in and by knowing, by me knowing personally, noise is a big thing. And I know the times of day and that if I'm hungry, it's worse, these kinds of things. Then we gauge how big our bucket is and when we need to empty it. When to do some of those proactive bubble wrap strategies and just have a better overall gauge so we can manage it more effectively. Yes, right. This has been so incredibly helpful. And I think as moms listen back to this, there's going to be so many things that they can relate to about themselves in this interview. And I think about when a baby starts crying and we have a negative response, there can be a lot of guilt and shame associated with that. But to understand how and why this can be so triggering, like you said, how the auditory sense is wired right into our nervous system, to understand why it's so overstimulating and why it can be so triggering for us is going to be really validating for a lot of moms that are listening. So thank you so much, Larissa, for coming and sharing these strategies with us. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Where are you hanging out online? What resources do you have? Where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. It's warrior.ot. And I also have a course called Sensing Your Needs in Parenthood. And that it's all about what we talked about today. Um, it goes more in depth. It's pretty workshop based. It's self paced, yeah. but there's a lot of reflection. And so it will really help you tune into what are your specific needs? What is it in my daily routine that will help support me in these moments of overload? How do I personally respond to different stimuli? And so you can find that at warriorot.com slash sensing your needs, or you can find it through my Instagram as well. 
and we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes and in the blog post so that people know how to find you and how to register for your course. If you guys have any questions about this, I'd love for you to screenshot, tag us both in your stories, ask us your questions, and let us know how you felt about this episode. When we hear from you a lot and there is a high demand and lots of questions about an episode, that's my sign that you guys want a guest back to do some Q&A and dive further into a topic. So screenshot, let us know. And if you find this really resonates and it was helpful, I would absolutely love it if you would share it with a mummy friend or another parent who might be facing similar oversensory overload challenges. Hey guys, Erica here, just popping in at the very end of this interview to let you guys know that Larissa has actually created a special discount code just for you for her course called Sensing Your Needs in Parenthood. All of the details are linked in the show notes and the blog post, but you can go to her website and use our code HAPPY10 for 10% off her course. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option. For Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, for the girls who want more. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.